As long as greed is stronger than compassion, there's always going to be suffering. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today we're going to cover the case of Quinn and Reed Gray while I drink my vodka. Quinn, age 37, and Reed Gray, age 38, they appeared to have the perfect life. They got married in October of 2000, and they had two girls, ages 8 and 6. The family moved to Jacksonville Beach in the summer of 2007 after a business venture in Orlando didn't work out. In the summer of 2009, they moved to a $4.2 million oceanfront home that they purchased in Ponte Verde. Reed made a good living. He was an owner of a home health care company, and I don't think Quinn worked. But on Labor Day weekend, September 4th, 2009, everything was about to change. What started off as a normal day would end in terror. At 5 p.m. that day, Reed gets a frantic call from Quinn, and she's stating that she had been kidnapped by three Albanian men and that they were holding her for ransom in the amount of $50,000. When he gets back to the house, there's also a ransom letter waiting for him on his door that was in yellow lined paper and that was written in Quinn's handwriting advising him not to be a hero and not to get the cops involved because these guys were professionals and she was scared that they're gonna kill her. She also did put in there that they had guns so obviously they had the means to kill her. Reed decided that he did want to get the cops involved and he wasn't gonna listen to their threats so he calls them. The cops respond and they look at the letter and they start all right, we need to do a manhunt. But at the same time, they're also going to have to look at him now to make sure that he's not involved. Some things that were found at the house, they just didn't make a whole lot of sense to them. But it's just, you look at that house and he made over a million dollars a year. Why would they only want $50,000? And the letter, it, it was kind of like a lengthy letter. Usually, you know, they're not that lengthy. So they just thought something was a little off. They were asking him, you know, do you know who would do this? Do you owe anybody any money? Do you have any kind of loan shark, bookie, anything like that? And he's, no, I don't have anything. 16 hours into the kidnapping turned into Saturday and Reed felt like he needed to reach out to her to make sure that he could get a response. And he's telling her like, I haven't slept all night. Please let me know you're okay. And he gets no response from her. But later that evening, she does make a very short call, letting him know that she was okay and that they were coming back to the room. So she had to hurry up and hang up. It was like one of those, hey, I'm fine. Okay, bye. Gail Sykes, who's Quinn's mom, she's now in the loop of what's going on. So she starts to make her drive to their home so she can be there with the family. She lived in another state, so it was going to take a few hours, but she was on her way. The next time they hear from Quinn, she's telling them the drop-off location, and she said that they needed to go to Southside Boulevard. When they were on their way, all of a sudden the location changes to a Chick-fil-A. Reed ends up going to the wrong Chick-fil-A, so obviously he wasn't able to make the drop. They were on two different sides of the town. There's two different Chick-fil-A's, so when the next call came, they had a new location. 
They wanted him to go to the mall and wait for a location drop, but she called back and this time she sounds frantic. She's telling them that they've been spotted with three Fed cars following them. You know, she's yelling at him like, dude, you've up twice now, twice. My life is on the line and you're screwing up. She also asked him whose Ford was in the driveway. I think they wanted to let him know that they were watching the house. So the cops, they get working on a search warrant so they can get access to her phone information. When they finally get into it, they notice a pattern. If the phone is not being in use, it's turned off. And they're also removing the battery so you couldn't find a location for them. No address, nothing. But they get lucky because once when the phone turned back on, they were able to see some of the pings. They were in for another surprise, though, because it turned out that they had gotten the warrant for the wrong phone number. It was like one digit off. So I want to know what was that person up to, (laughs) because that's weird. When her mother, Gail, arrived, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and she said the house looked like a battlefield. There was a SWAT team on the roof. They were in bushes. Like, shit got real. When it got to be 36 hours into this whole abduction, it had been 12 hours since anyone's had any contact with her. So they're starting to get a little freaked out. Reed, he's scared, not sleeping. He's texting her about every 30 minutes just to see if he can get a response. The next morning around 9.30, her mom gets a text message and they said her done dealing with Reed. Mom, it's your turn. So they were done dealing with Reed and it's go time. So they tell her to get the money ready by 11 o'clock and they'll tell her where to go. At 10.30, they get another text saying that they need to go to Mickler's Landing, which is a beachfront park where you can go like sunbathing, swimming, find shark's teeth, you know, shit like that. So you would think probably a lot of people there. So I found that weird because they told her to go into the woman's bathroom and she would have the directions in a toilet paper roll on a piece of paper. I don't know, the parks around here get really crowded and like there's a line in our bathroom. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been there, but I wouldn't work here. So she finds the note and this one's also written in Quinn's handwriting. And she tells her, hey, you know, I'm fine for the time being, but they're gonna kill her if she does not bring the money. And, you know, Reed, he's already messed up twice, so she can't mess it up and she needs to go to Joe's Crab Shack. She puts the money in a blue duffel bag and off she goes. They told her the location about where to drop it and it was like in some bushes. So she gets out and she makes sure it's in there. And of course, you know, police, they're watching in the parking lot somewhere. They want to see who's coming for this bag. They had also put a GPS device inside, but... The funniest thing is they actually only put $10,000 in there. It was not the $50,000 that they were demanding. A white SUV pulls up with three men and one of them get out. They grab the bag and get back in the car and they take off. The police start to follow them to see where they're going. And they're just following them. It's going a little while, some miles. They're hoping that this is going to lead them to Quinn. They see the SUV pull into a gas station And they pull in and just kind of watch to see what they're doing. In the meantime, Quinn is texting her mother saying, where's the money? And her mom is like, uh, in the bushes where you told me to put it? And she's like, no, it's not here. And she's like, Quinn, I put it in the bushes. I put it there. And so now, you know, she's like, I don't believe you. And she's like, well, I don't believe you thinking maybe they want more money. They are so, they're hella confused. So, I mean, they know for a fact 
the bag was picked up. They watched it. Well, the police station receives a call from a man stating that he found a blue bag and there was a lot of money in it. And he could notice that they were being followed. So he wanted to give it back. The police, they're already at the gas station watching these fools. So it turns out they're German intern students on vacation headed to Jacksonville Beach just to have fun. And one of the guys even said when they saw the bag and he goes, damn, I hope this isn't somebody's ransom. (laughs) Like, what are your chances of that? Seriously. Yeah. So now we have fail number three. They call the mother and they're pissed. And this is the first time another voice comes on the phone other than Quinn's, a man. And he says, where is my money? And then he fires around and he says, next bullet is for her. So her mother is absolutely petrified as she should be. And oh my Jesus, she's thinking, oh my God, I know I dropped the money. The new instructions were for them to drop it on Monday, but Monday was a holiday and banks are closed. Now they need more money because they lost the money. You guys can't give them another 50000 just so you can get this over with? But okay, what else? So now this is going to take them to Tuesday. What else are we going to do? But I mean, they're worried. They could just say, fuck it and kill her. You know, like, oh my God, this is dragged on too long. She's dead weight. We're not getting anywhere. We got to offer. So they really do not want to drag this on. So I guess mom gets fired again because Reed is back in the game and he gets a text message and it says for him to go look at his email. He was told to watch his email on Sunday. So it's two days since she's been abducted. When he looks at it, it's a picture of Quinn and you know, she's got like a little scratch on her forehead and you know, she, she looks disheveled. Her hair is all flippy and she looks tired and kind of miserable so at least they know she's okay what they didn't know and actually either did i but did you know that there is gps inside photos so they can locate where the picture was taken that's some inspector gadget shit so while they're now trying to trace where these photos are coming from And as much as they tried to keep all of this out of the media, it didn't work. It was leaked on the news. So they need to hurry up and get to Quinn quick. On Monday, Quinn texts her mom and tells her that she has no heart, which, you know, that's not fair. Come on now. Later on that evening, she calls and she's so frantic that she couldn't make out a word that she was saying. Not a word. And then all of a sudden, phone goes silent. Not too long after the police station, they get a call from Quinn herself saying that she had been kidnapped and was dropped out of a white van at the Orange Park Mall parking lot. So after 72 hours into the whole ordeal, they're able to get Quinn and bring her home. Well, they bring her back to the FBI headquarters and then she's reunited with her family and they got to get a statement like, okay, girl, you got to give us something. I get it. You've been through some shit, but we need to get something out of you before you leave here. They ask her, you know, they're like, well, did these guys say anything to you before they just dumped you out of the van? And she had the most peculiar response. It was, yeah, that's the part I'm not getting into. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, okay. She tells them that she thinks she was kidnapped because of Reed. 
because she thinks that he owed somebody money. It was a loan shark. It was somebody like that. And that he didn't seem to care. You know, she was like, he has plenty of money. What is $50,000 to him? It's nothing. She's like, this should have happened on day one. And you know, it did get them thinking a little bit, you know. So Reed is obviously still a suspect. I mean, usually it is someone closest to you, which is the scariest freaking part of all of it. But so they have to look into their marriage. You know, it's just mandatory. And it turns out it actually wasn't the best one. They had both stepped out of the marriage different times. I guess he went first and it made her start really drinking heavily. And then that's when she started to step out as well. And Reed had even moved out for a couple weeks. So even Mama Gail, she's starting to look a little sideways at Reed thinking, you know, why weren't you that emotional? Why weren't you, oh, I'll give everything and anything and da-da-da-da. Like, he didn't want to give the money to these people. He wanted to go to the cops. He's like, uh-uh. So, I mean, Gail, she straight up asks him, like, is there a loan shark? Do you owe people money? Are you in danger? And he's like, no, there is no loan shark. And he also ended up passing a lie detector test. So, for the most part, you know, they dropped him as a suspect and Gail apologized. They call Quinn back into the police station so they can question her two days later. You know, they wanted to give her some time so she can sleep and just deal with what she's gone through. This time her demeanor, it's much nicer and it's maybe because she did get sleep. Who knows? This interview ended up taking six hours and she went through it. You know, it was a normal day. She got up. She got her facial. She went to yoga. When she came home, she could hear like movement in the house, but she just figured it was Reed. And all of a sudden she could hear somebody's voice and it said, I'm not here for you. I just want the 50,000 that your husband owes me. And when she looked up, it obviously wasn't Reed. She said it was three Albanian men and they had guns. They used zip ties to restrain her on her arms and they put her in a white van. She said, finally, when they got to a location, it was some kind of warehouse, something of that nature, where they zip tied her to a chair and she was stuck that way for hours. She said he did eventually untie her and he allowed her to lay down. She said that she wasn't alone, that that's when she was sexually assaulted. She told the detective that they did every position you could think of and that she acted like she enjoyed it. And sometimes she actually did. Very interesting. The next day, she said that they put her in a motel and that they did stop at a Publix. She remembered them stopping at a Publix because he also wanted to know, did you go anywhere public? Are you on camera anywhere? And she said, well, I'm not because I was in the car, but he is. He went to Publix to buy chicken and some other things. So they go to the Publix and they find the footage of him cashing out. And they could tell because he looked Albanian and he bought the same items that she had said. She described his clothing. So they take that video and they make like a still picture so they can put it on the news. You know, has anybody seen this man? Bolo, all that good stuff. And two days later, 911 gets a call and he says, I just saw myself on the news. And he's like, I need to come in and talk to you guys. I need to clear my name. You're saying I kidnapped somebody. His name was Jasmine Osmanovic. He was a 25 year old Bosnian mechanic that came from a really good family. 
He told the police he had no clue who the woman in the picture was and tells them and he tells them that he was with a woman, but it wasn't her. He said he met her at a gas station and they had a two night stand. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing, but I I guess he was kind of arrogant, like kind of like he thought he was smarter than all the cops. He was smart. I mean, he was smart, but he you could tell like he was like, okay, what you gonna do? You have nothing. You have nothing on me. Well, they tell him that not only did the Emerson Inn where they stayed in room 207 already ID'd him, but so did Quinn, the victim. When they showed her a picture, she said that was him. The motel operator told the police that he paid for the $40 room with $100 of cash, and he told the clerk that he was there to have sex with his girlfriend. (laughs) Can't make this shit up. Are you 12? What? I can't. She said that the couple seemed normal, and they also noted that the woman moved about freely during the two-night stay. She never seemed like she was any distress. She came outside. She went inside. It, she was good. So, you, you know, let, let, let me see that picture again. <laughs> Looking at it. I mean, that might be her, but I never kept anybody against their will. I don't kidnap people. And they're looking at him and they're like, dude, you are in big trouble. You are looking at prison time. A lot of it. And that's when that arrogance comes back out. And, you know, he's like, nah, I got a get out of jail free card. And they're like, um, excuse me. Didn't AAA used to give those out. I don't know if they still do. But I think I had one. Good to have if they work. <laughs> At first, he didn't want to tell them what he had. He just said he had something on tape. But whatever it was, he was not letting it out of his possession. Nobody was getting it from him. Turns out Jasmine did not fully trust Quinn. So he made a tape of her staying at this hotel, motel, whatever. So she couldn't come back at him because at first, supposedly, he didn't know anything about all of this. I mean, we'll get into that in a minute, but he, like I said, he's not a dumb guy. So he did a little bit of shady work. Well, he thought he was going to be able to keep it secret, But his ex-girlfriend had found the tape and gave it to his sister, who then turned it into the police. This tape would blow this entire case open. He has her on there saying stuff like, I'm starting to think I'm the sinister one doing this to my family. And it's Quinn talking, you know? I wonder how my girls are doing. Do you? Like, why would you put your family through this? I guess they were talking about what salads they liked the best. You know, important shit. He did also, he had video of him walking up to the room because she didn't want him to stay overnight. So she made him leave. As he's walking up, he's talking on it. He's like, see, I'm not keeping her captive. She was in this room by herself. She was the only one in the room. So she cannot say that she was kept there against her will. Then the tape gets juicy and you can hear them having sex. He makes the comment to her, does Reed always get this much action? And her answer is, you know, he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, so on September 15th, 2009, she is arrested for extortion. She pleads not guilty, stating that all this is so true that she was kidnapped. She was coerced into doing all this shit. And believe it or not, Reed, he stands behind her. I mean, at this point, he also has not heard the tapes, so he said he didn't want to hear them. 
because he trusted her. He even went on the Today Show backing her up, saying that she was tricked into committing the extortion and was in a compromised mental state because of her drinking. It got really bad. I guess, like, I think she had been in and out of rehab. But while she was waiting for her trial, the truth came out. He ended up hearing everything. That she was left alone overnight. She was left alone in cars. He heard the sex. And also, she failed a lie detector test. In August of 2011, he filed for divorce. Quinn ended up pleading no contest to an extortion charge, and she received time served and seven years of probation. He was also served with time served. According to the Florida Times Union, she receives $10,000 a month as a part of her divorce settlement. I'd be pissed as fuck. <laughs> bitch. Her mother believes that she did all of this because of alcohol abuse and because she was bipolar. But when they examined her, when they were getting ready for trial and everything, they found that she didn't meet the criteria to be bipolar. She does have to repay $86,000 in overtime costs due to the efforts of them trying to save her ass. So, I mean, there's a silver lining. I just don't, I do not understand I just, I don't understand. (laughs) I will have more of this episode on my Crime Over Cocktails After Hours edition, which is found on my Patreon page. I thank you guys all so much for listening. I love it. Don't forget all the ways you can get your crime fix. And while you're at all these sites, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Leave that five-star rating. You can also go to crimeovercocktails.com where you can check out merch, listen to the episodes, and become a Patreon. All right, you guys. Thanks again. We'll talk crime another time. Bye.